All right, once you get to 2 Samuel chapter 12, go ahead and set your Bible down for a second and listen to me. Um, we're not quite there yet, but we'll get there in a minute. I want to share a couple of stories with you this morning, and I hope as we go on that these stories will make a little bit more sense. So I'll share the first one. A righteous man lived near the border in the wilderness, and one day, for no reason, his prized horse ran off and escaped and ran off into foreign lands. And the people in the town and the village felt very sorry for him, but his father spoke to him and says, who knows if this situation won't bring you good luck. Several months later, his horse came back with a group of uh, wild stallions and brought back a group of horses for him. So now he had not only one, but many horses. And everyone in the village congratulated him. You know, this, this turned out lucky for you. Your horse came back and brought more. Uh, but his father spoke to him and he said, who knows if this won't situation will bring you bad luck. Um, he was now rich, having many horses. And at one point the son uh, mounted on one of the horses to, to break the wild horse and, and tame it. However, uh, the horse reared up, he fell back and he broke his leg. And so everyone in the village felt sorry for him again because he broke his leg on the horse that he had obtained from the wild. But his father spoke to him again and he said, who knows if this situation won't bring you good luck. One year later, a foreign enemy invaded the country from across the border. However, as all the adult men strung up their bows and went off to battle, the son stayed home because he was injured, because his leg was broken. Nine out of the 10 people in the village who went to war were killed, but the son was not because of his broken leg. And so then the question was, you know, was, was this good luck? Second story. This one should be a little more familiar if you, uh, well, well, we'll just see if you figure it out. Uh, there was a man, and he and his wife had a child. And they were very excited for the arrival of this child. Uh, it was a son, actually. What you got? Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to have to make a copy because I think that's all that I had. Okay, uh, so the couple had a child, and, and they were very excited, and, but after a while, the father had to go back to work, and so he had bills to pay, and he was at work, and he was trying to take care of his family. Well, as time went on, um, his son began to walk, his son began to talk, and yet he missed those occasions because he was at work, he was providing. Uh, the, later on, as the child began to grow up, um, he came up to his father one day, and he said, hey, Dad, let's, let's play catch. Can you teach me how to throw this ball? And he says, I'm sorry, son, I'm busy. I'm busy working, um, but maybe later. Maybe we'll, we'll do it later. And all this time, the, the child, the son, very much respected his father. And, and despite these disappointments, he didn't hold it against him. Um, he, he admired his father. And, and one day, he wanted to be like him. And so he continued to follow after his father, despite the disappointments. Well, fast forward a little bit later. And the son comes home from college. He's grown up some. And his father's happy to see him because it's been a while. And so he asks the son, hey, can we have some time together? Can we spend some time together? And the son says, sorry, I got to go meet some friends. Can I borrow the car keys because I don't have time? And then finally, the father, having now been retired, calls up his son one day. His son's in another city. He started his own family. And so the question is, 
do you have time to meet? And the son says, I'm sorry, I got my own family. I'm busy, but I love you, Dad. Maybe, maybe sometime later. Do you recognize that story? Yeah, thought you would. All right, now let's go into uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. All right, starting in verse 1, chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd. To prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him, rather he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. All right. So I've shared three stories. You might be a little confused at this point. But what I want to ask you is, think back to the first story. What does the first story mean about the horse, the, the son and the horse? Okay. All right. And what's the meaning of the second story? <laughs> what goes around comes around. Time is short, yeah. And then what's the meaning of this story told by Nathan to David? Mm. All right. Yeah, his, his hypocrisy, right? Because how does David react? He gets mad, right? Uh, rightfully so. All right, so we're starting a new study in this, in this class, and that's why I set up all this for you to kind of get you thinking a little bit, because we're going to be talking about parables. Now, this morning, we're not going to be talking about a specific parable. This morning, what I want to talk about is approaching the parables. I want to set some groundwork for the class that we're going to have in here, and so I want to give an introduction not to a specific parable, but to the idea of parables, right? Of, of studying parables in Scripture. And hopefully that will set us up for success as we go through all these um, passages in the New Testament. But I, I would argue that each one of these that we just spoke about is a form of a parable, okay? What do those three stories have in common? Okay, simple, everyday illustrations in order to make some sort of moral point, right? Okay, what else? A practical truth. A practical truth, okay. Any other comments? Yeah, okay, so yeah, I think, I think you get the idea. I think you get the purpose of sharing those this morning. Those are all examples, I would say, of parables from outside of Jesus' ministry, right? The, the first one was an ancient Chinese parable. Of course, the second one was a song from you know, the 70s, 80s era. Uh, and the third one is from the Old Testament. And so I think one thing to keep in mind when we study the parables of the New Testament is that parables are not an unfamiliar thing, right? Parables are part of human culture, right? And they have been for a very long time, and they continue to be. Um, it's kind of a universal practice to take 
daily life and draw out um, lessons and draw out morals to illustrate to people and to make them think, okay? And so parables are not necessarily something unique to the Bible or to the ministry of Jesus, but what is unique, of course, is the one giving the parables, right? And the meanings behind those parables. And so I don't want us to approach a study of parables as if there's some sort of mystical thing, right? We're not studying Revelation this, this uh, quarter or whatever. You know, we're studying things that are meant to be uh, applicable to the everyday farmer, right? Applicable to the poor person living in uh, the, the Jerusalem area, okay? All right, so let's get into our study. So I wanna first go over some traits of parables. And we've already kind of mentioned a few of these, um, but I'll, I'll reiterate them here. So first of all, short, sweet, and to the point, right? A parable is meant to be uh, simple. It's meant to be concise. It's meant to be easy to remember, right? It's something that you wanna put, a lesson you wanna put in, put in the back of your mind that you don't have to struggle to recall what the point was. And so uh, parables are generally fairly short. Um, they're easy to, to think back on and to recall and to share with other people. Um, and they're easy to tell. As we mentioned, uh, one of the primary um, defining traits of a parable is its use of relatable everyday situations or everyday experiences in life. Um, as I was studying, I, I found one good distinction too. When you think about um, fables, right? Can you, can you think of an example of what you would call a fable? Stories about animals? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head now. Um, yeah, like Aesop's fables, right? The, the difference there being that the fable uses the animals to present some sort of situation as kind of a representation of people, right? Whereas the parable actually uses people, right? The parable does not stray outside of personal life. So in, in a sense, a parable is even simpler than a fable because you don't have to make the, short, the mental shortcut from translating what the animals are doing to what a person would do, okay? So there's no mental blocks there. It is about people. It's about people's experiences. It's about people's actions, and it's about the consequences of those actions. And then another defining trait of parables is the conclusion, right? Um, conclusions of parables are meant to be impactful. They're meant to be challenging. They're meant to be thought-provoking. And sometimes they don't necessarily have a clear answer or explanation. And we see this in the gospel accounts where people are asking, what does Jesus mean by this? You know, Jesus gives a parable and yet people are still discussing what's the meaning. Um, and, and that's intentional because again, if, if a parable was meant to be something it's not, for example, Jesus could just say, you know, as he did at times, love your neighbor or you know, the, the, um, don't push, put your trust in wealth or whatever. However, he also chooses to use parables to illustrate this point. So there's more to it than simply saying the truth. It's meant to get your mind working, right? The illustration, the, the analogy, the metaphor is there to get you to think and to ask questions and to discuss with people the meaning of the parable as we will be doing in this class. And so parables are a unique form of communication, of, of literature. Um, not unique to the Bible, but the Bible takes advantage of something that's familiar, right? A familiar trope of, of writing and of storytelling 
uh, to help get across these spiritual lessons. All right, so, so we talked about what a, what a parable is. You should be able to spot one now when you see it. Um, but what about the purpose, right? We've talked about that a little bit, but let's get a little, dive a little bit deeper. Um, why use a parable? What's, what's the use? What's the, what's the purpose? I've got a few different um, ideas that I want to present this morning. Let's turn over to Matthew. Sorry, let's turn over to Mark. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, I'm going to read verses uh, 14 through 23. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, when he left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. All right. What's the purpose of presenting this teaching? What's the need? Why would Jesus bother to teach this? Okay, they were preoccupied with the, the laws of eating, right? And they were not as concerned about what was in their heart. Sam, what did, what did you say? Like same, same thing? Okay. Yeah, he was concerned with the Right, if we go back up in the chapter a little bit, you'll see the question about why are your disciples not washing their hands, right? Why are they not following the rituals? And so the response to that is, you have a fundamental misunderstanding. Oh, go ahead. I believe he was also uh, taking an earthly thing they were very familiar with. Mm -hmm. They understood about the washings and about the lepers and staying away and unclean. And, uh, you know, God had all sorts of laws about if you take a dead body outside and you're unclean mm -hmm. for so long. And there were those things that defiled the body. Mm. He was protecting his people from those things, those physical things. And then Christ said, yeah, I understand that, but here's what really defiled mm -hmm. This is spiritual. These are things that are really defiled you. Not those physical things so much, but these spiritual. Right. And so, so I would say the first purpose is it, it challenges an assumption, or it challenges some sort of conventional wisdom or some sort of ingrained entrenched understanding, right? And it's not that they were necessarily incorrect in being concerned about the following the old law, because obviously they were following the old law, but they had they'd taken that to an extent where they misunderstood and missed the point, right? And they had missed the greater truths. 
And so Jesus uses this parable to challenge those assumptions and to challenge those, you know, those held, um, those, those teachings. Um, another one I wanted to mention was the lost sheep in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, what's the conventional wisdom if you have a herd of 100 and you lose one? Yeah, you write it off as a loss, right? That's a business, uh, business loss. Uh, and, and how does the parable of the lost sheep challenge that conventional wisdom? Yeah, just as important, right? He, he goes off and, and searches it out. Okay, that, that takes what we would call common sense and turns it on its head, right? And so some parables are meant to challenge some sort of long-held assumption or conventional wisdom, okay? Basically change your perspective on something you thought you knew. All right, let's go over to Matthew now. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. And this one's kind of, kind of related to this, but uh, I'll start reading Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and for you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Okay? Again, kind of a common, everyday type of concept, but what's the truth here? Yeah, be prepared, right. Be prepared for what? Christ's coming, right? There's a representation symbolism in the story. I think the purpose of this and similar parables is to, to change a belief or to change a behavior, right? We illustrate some sort of um, decision, action, consequence for the purpose of letting someone know your behavior needs to change, right? If your behavior matches um, this particular situation, then understand you need to change your behavior or you need to change your belief. Um, another example... I don't know if we'll actually go through it, but just to mention it, is the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, uh, verses uh, 21 through 35, I believe. And again, it's a representation of, of an action that, is, that needs to be changed, and it illustrates why it needs to be changed, the consequences of that behavior. And so the challenge of these types of parables is change your behavior, change your beliefs, because you are being represented in this passage as being in the wrong. And the consequences are presented to you to emphasize, right, why your behavior matters and why you should change it. Uh, and then let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, 3 through 9. 
And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. All right, so the parable of the sower, we're not necessarily advocating for a change in behavior here, right? And we're not necessarily even challenging some sort of assumption. This is more of just a, a general teaching or general illustration. And so some of these parables are meant to provoke thought, right? Provoke discussion, uh, provoke someone to go back and think on, okay, what does this mean? How do, how do I understand this passage? And then in my daily life, what, what are the implications of that? Um, another example that I, I listed was uh, the, the workers in the vineyard, right? Which I should be Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verses uh, 1 through 16. Yes. And, and that's an interesting one too, right? And I would say that one kind of falls into the challenging assumptions area as well. But there's also this general teaching of, uh, of this challenge of leaving it a little open-ended so that people are forced to think on it and discuss it. Um, and and but therefore, by doing so, by discussing and studying, they learn. They learn this, uh, the lessons meant to be conveyed in the passage. All right, so I think those are at least a few purposes of the parables. When we're reading through them, these are all the different things that are being trying to get across. Not every parable is going to do all of these things, but I would safely say that each parable is probably doing at least one of these things. And it's important to understand the particular passage you're reading, what the purpose of that parable was, because that's part of the context, right? If Jesus is speaking to a crowd of disciples or if he's speaking to Pharisees, that context is very important and the purpose of the parable is going to be reflected in that. All right, so types of parables. What all types of parables are there? I'll try to categorize them in a few different ways, and I'll try to bring out some examples to help illustrate that. Um, so the first one is a fancy word called similitude. The idea is something based on an everyday occurrence, which is kind of how we generally understand these stories. A similitude, though, is generally shorter, um, not like a long type of story. Uh, and it's meant to just quickly um, get a, a nice moral lesson and a punch at the end to kind of uh, emphasize the, the importance. Uh, so, for example, let's go to Luke chapter 15. I'll read verses 8 through 10. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found a coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay, three verses. Very short paragraph, done. That's the parable, right? So it's relatively short. It's, it's something that an everyday person can relate to, has probably experienced, and it is being used to emphasize a spiritual truth about how God views people, right? The idea of, of losing a coin or losing anything you know, is very relatable, um, something that we all probably deal with on an 
probably at least a weekly basis, if not daily like you're me, you know. Um, if you ever lost your keys or perhaps you misplaced your wedding ring, you know, that's one where you really are, are celebrating when you find it, right? So we can relate to that. And we can put ourselves in that position to understand how God feels and how he views um, salvation. Uh, another example in Mark chapter 6, verses 26 through 29, um, is just a description of, of a seed that grows and the idea of, of how the seed grows and, and what uh, the time it takes and the care that it requires. Again, it's a similitude. It's only a few verses and it just gives a very quick illustration and then the lesson's over. Uh, the next one, the next type, would be the narrative. And the narrative is uh, probably the one we think about the most when we think about parables. It's lengthier. Um, it generally is, has like a story format. It lays out a setting and then it walks you through some events. And then in the end, you kind of get the situation that leaves you kind of wondering as to what the, what the conclusion or what the, the, uh, the lesson might be. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verses one through eight. Uh, let's see. One. Yes. Uh, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. It's always helpful when the, the Bible actually tells you what it means, right? Ahead of time. Uh, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? All right, uh, so this is an example of, of an actual kind of story, right? We have a sequence of events, and we have some characters. Uh, I think another good example that we can relate to is the prodigal son, right? Where we're, we're put into this situation where there's a son and a father, and they speak, um, and then some actions happen, right? He goes off, and he lives his life, and then he realizes what he's done, and he goes back. And so there's this full you know, story uh, meant to convey this meaning. So instead of just a quick description like we uh, saw earlier, we actually have a fully fleshed out story here, taking uh, more verses. Um, so that's kind of the, the narrative type of parable. Uh, there's also what could be called the, the illustration type parables. So if we go to Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21. Let's uh, see. See, this is, yes. Uh, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to him, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do? since I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now 
who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay? So an illustration type parable is, is showing a behavior, right, to either be modeled after or to be avoided. So the, the behavior of the rich fool in the story is a model that we are warned against following. Um, the Good Samaritan is another example, and this I would say is a, a positive example of behavior to be modeled, okay? So the whole point is to use the parable and to say, you act like this, right? Or you stop acting like this to directly comment on um, behavior and behavior that needs to be either changed or exemplified. And then finally, um, there's what's called parabolic sayings, and I think there might be a little disagreement as to whether these actually count as parables or not, but um, go ahead and, and address them. Uh, Matthew chapter 9 is an example. If we go to Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. Matthew 9, 14 through 17. All right. Uh, then the disciples of John came to him asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The tenants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the worst tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. So just kind of a, a quick saying, right? Um, not even really uh, a story of sorts, but just kind of a, kind of a, a commentary on, on how daily life is lived to illustrate uh, a point. Um, another good example is the idea of the blind leading the blind, right? Just kind of a, a quick saying, um, again, for, for with a punch for people to remember. So as we go through this study, and as we look at all these different parables, um, uh-oh, did it die on me? Oh, there we go. All right, so as we go through these parables, um, some things to keep in mind as far as the composition of how they're built, and we've kind of already covered most of this, but generally keep in mind you're going to have one, one main idea, okay, one lesson. Since they're short and they're simple, there's generally only one main truth to pull out. Now, I might not, I'll say that's not universally the case, but I think we just want to take caution against over-interpreting, right? Generally, there's, there's a main point being conveyed in a couple of sentences, and that's that's the meaning. Um, oftentimes, especially in the narrative ones, you, you start with this kind of setting in the situation that's presented, and then you have a, a course of action that goes over to illustrate um, the events and the decisions, and then you have a result at the end that illustrates the moral point and provides a conclusion and sometimes provides an open-ended uh, opportunity for discussion and thought. And then finally, there's this rule of three and to be honest, I really haven't fully looked into this yet, but it is interesting how it kind of pops up. Um, you often see uh, either a situation presented in three parts or characters brought up in, three, in threes. So for example, uh, the parable of the talents, right? How many men are given talents? Three. three. Think back to the persistent widow. How many people are in the story? The judge, the widow, and her opponent, right? 
Um, think about the Good Samaritan. How many people walk by the road? Three. And so there's this rule of three that shows up in a lot of the parables as well. Um, and as I said, I don't really, haven't looked into it fully yet to give you the meaning or the, the, the big idea behind that, but maybe something just to watch out for. Um, things happening in numbers, kind of like you would see in Revelation, but at a more simple level. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting to observe that. All right, so wrapping up, why do I care? Why does this matter to me? Um, we're going to be studying parables for a little while on here, so I hope that that's something that you care about. Um, but, just in case, um, remember that parables are meant to teach universal truths. Go back to the, the stories that I presented at the beginning of the lesson, right? One of those was from ancient China, but you can still relate to it, right? One of them from, was a song from a few decades ago, but everyone can relate to it. And so, parables are universal. There are things that are intended to always be applicable. And so, the teachings of Jesus, while they may not necessarily represent your daily life. You, may not, you might not be a farmer, or you might not be a rich person who's having to rebuild all of their property. Um, it's still intended to be something that you can kind of put a frame of mind to, that you're not totally unfamiliar with. And so there should be meaning for all of us, just as there was meaning for the listeners at the time. And then I also want to mention a few um, rules to follow. as we go through studying these parables. Um, again, remember the simple nature. Don't try to overinterpret. Make sure to frame your understanding of the teaching of parables within the broader teachings of Jesus, right? Because they're gonna to have to be consistent with what he's trying to say. Otherwise, what's the point? So parables from Jesus should be consistent with all the other teachings of Jesus. Uh, recognize the original audience. Recognize the original context, whether that be historical, social, or religious, because oftentimes that adds context and meaning and purpose to the parables. Think about what the parable meant to the immediate listeners in the crowd, or to the Pharisees, or to whoever heard the parable to help you understand what the, um, what the scriptural idea, what the spiritual idea is that you need to be applying in your life. All right, thank you this morning for your attention. I do hope that it will be, I'm sure it will be a good study, and hopefully this has prepared all of us as we you know, proceed looking at all these parables that we can get as much out of them as we can. So thank you all.